You're listening to Townsville's Chambercast, a podcast supporting the businesses of Townsville. We look forward to sharing business leaders and inspiring local business owners that make up our wonderful Townsville business community. Today, we sit down with John Hale, strategy guy. John Hale had a Business Matters lunch and he unpacked the six steps needed to create a strategic mindset. He also looked at the most challenging issues and opportunities businesses face in 2023. John now joins us via podcast. Please welcome John Hale and Michael, CEO of Townsville Chamber of Commerce. Thank you very much, Chantel, for that introduction. And today we have our very special guest, John Hale, otherwise known as the strategy guy. And John's very kindly just completed a Townsville Chamber of Commerce Business Matters lunch at the Mercure Inn, which was very entertaining. Uh, great to see even at uh, quarter to three, everyone's still on board and enjoying the event. And John's very kindly offered to come down and do this podcast. And just by way of background, of course, John Hale has presented and delivered over 100 presentations a year on strategy over the last three decades. And he's a very popular keynote speaker at national and global conferences. And he's worked on an as an early stage investor, strategic advisor and business ed- educator and has advised some of the world's biggest brands and works strategically with leaders from large and mid-sized companies, startups, scale-ups and public sector organisations. John, of course, is the principal of the Hale Consulting Group and author of a number of books, one of which I acquired today, uh, The Strategy Book and The Strategic Accountant. John, welcome. Thank you, Michael. It's uh, been nice to visit Townsville. It's a really nice environment here and the weather's been lovely. Yeah, look, it's uh, it's one of those gems that we try and keep to ourselves up north and uh, we certainly enjoy the weather. But John, look, turning to, I suppose, a very, very important topic and the reason why we were very keen to have you up here was that in terms of business wellness, we know employees have been doing it tough and there's a lot of support and resources around for employees and staff. But sometimes the, the forgotten people in the, the whole cycle of business are in fact the owners operators who are doing it tough as well. And of course, we're all coming out of COVID and starting to reboost and reboot. And um, But the business owners and operators are still finding things very tough. And I think it's important to realise that there are options, there are opportunities for these business owners and operators to think of this stress and pressure um, which which would otherwise affect their um, mental wellness, to think about a different approach, a strategic approach to coming out of that. And let's start that process off. Yeah, great. Look, thanks, Michael. I enjoyed working with the group today. It wasn't a large group. It was about 30 or so people for lunch, beautiful lunch in there at the McCure. And uh, it was interesting. I, I learned some things today, like what it takes to run a successful orchestra. I hadn't had that experience before. This is, uh, this is kind of my work, is when I speak to different groups, I get to learn as well. And then the ideas I, I get from working with different groups, I get to share them as I move around. So I, I learned some good stuff today. In relation, in relation to your question about the stress that uh, business owners are under, I, I see it all the time, particularly in the small business sector. There's just not enough time enough uh, brain power if you like to go around and uh, one of the frameworks we looked at today um, during the the time we had together was the three horizons model talking about a one to two year horizon being horizon one a two to five year horizon being horizon number two and then five to ten years and in the current climate most business owners can't think beyond the next three days Mm. 
in terms of their current hiring issues, their staff shortage issues. And uh, one of the things I challenged uh, the group to look at was to have someone responsible for each of those horizons. That if they're very much in the business, on the tools, working with the client, then they're in the building horizon, which is the one to two year time frame. Well, who takes care of the two to five year horizon in mm-hmm. terms of thinking about where to invest next, where to divest from, what to divest from, how we might pivot? That's the second horizon. And the third horizon is a five to ten year horizon. And I challenge the businesses to come up with the name of someone, whether it might be uh, an advisor or indeed if it was going to be them, to take a view of telling stories about the future, that five to ten year window, in any particular point in time, the, the business will be fit enough to deal with the one to two, two to five and five to ten year horizon. Mm. A lot of business owners hearing that, it's like, come on, gonna, I don't have time to do that sort of stuff. A couple of the, the audience members today said, we're really having an issue with staffing at the moment. We just can't find skilled people. And that plugs into something I talked about, which was megatrends. We have an ageing population in this country. Some of our recruitment practices tend to um, unfairly discriminate against older people, which means reducing our labour pool. And the paradox in that is sometimes the older employees are actually more experienced and they bring a lot to the table. So the idea of maybe hiring someone who's already trained or has got a few more grey hairs like me um, may not be such a bad idea um, if we can get our head around seeing a, an employer or worker in a different mindset. And we've obviously seen hybrid ways of working and part-time models so that young parents can work in the workplace. I think we need to create more options for employment so that we can we won't necessarily recruit the person we want but we might get the person we need mm. if, we, um, if we ask better questions. And John, you've highlighted this really important thing about um, these horizons because some people think they get into business, uh, they exist in their business, they try and survive, but they've just got a single strategy and it's a strategy that's been developed. They might have got a consultant in. It's, it's good, good to go. That strategy is going to last forever, but that's not the case. Yes, that's right. What I find is the day I write a strategic plan for a client, is the day it becomes out of date. Mm, um, like a budget. Yeah, yeah, very much so. So uh, in response to that, actually, after I wrote the strategy book, I, I decided that I would write another book called The Strategy Note. And the, the note came from, I gave a uh, talk to a global group of probably over 2,000 leaders from all over the world. And at the end of the one-hour presentation, the moderator said to me, so once we've got our strategy, how do we communicate it to our people? I said, with a strategy note. I said, well, how do you do that? Can you give us an example? So I de-identified one of my strategy notes and sent it off to them. And I realised that there was a whole book in that. So I wrote the book called The Strategy Note specifically so that you could have a living, breathing strategy. So the idea of a strategy note is that you produce a one-page document which brings a level of accountability and clarity and a, a team of business unit managers or operational heads could come together on a monthly basis, work out the strategy, if you like, for the coming month and then review their progress and then update the note. So it's a living document. It's on one page, which means people will read it rather than being tossed in the cupboard, which is what tends to happen with most strategic plans. Mm. So, yeah, strategy is a conversation. It's not a plan. Strategy is about knowing our options moving forward. There's always more options. And if we stop coming up with options for our business, we we stop growing. Mm. And so other than simply exist and survive, what are the other... I suppose, next important steps for, for a business yeah, in yeah. the survival chain. I mean, there's a, there's a very famous model called the five stages of business growth that was published in Harvard Business Review about 30 years ago by Churchill and Lewis. And it talked about five stages of business growth, um, which were existence, survival, success, takeoff and maturity. 
And that model sufficed for quite some time. However, in the last probably 20 years, there's been a need for a sixth stage of business growth, which is called reinvention. If we go back 50 years, businesses would naturally go through those stages, existence, survival, success, take off, and then maturity. And, if, and 60 years ago, the average lifespan of a top 500 company was 60 years. Today, the average lifespan of a top 500 company is only 12 years. So this idea of reinventing, reinventing yourself is, is really important uh, because the pace of change just keeps accelerating. So there is a reinvention story that we all need to have. Um, and a lot of Australian, small Australian businesses really operate at that existence and survival stage. They never quite get to that success stage where there's clear profitability every month. Strategy is the key to um, deciding what to do and what not to do. Strategy is very much about deciding what not to do. We can't just keep doing everything we've been doing as we grow. We'll overrun. There'll be too many decisions to make. Strategy is very much about sometimes killing our favourite children, if I, for want of a better metaphor. Oh. That the thing that we started out with becomes sacrificial to our growth. We let it go and we move with the times. The way we started won't be the way we end. And sometimes that shows up in the types of leaders we need in our business. That a founder would be good for the first two stages, but we need a completely different person. So, for example, the Townsville Chamber, for some 120 years, there was no CEO. It was a community-based cooperative organisation. But the world has changed. Mm. And to stay professional and stay relevant, the Townsville Chamber needed to have a CEO. So they had one. Mm. And then they had another one. Mm. Yeah? So as the organisation matures, the, the leaders and the structure of the organisation needs to change, as does the strategy. Mm. The other, I think, interesting t- statistic you gave today was the percentage of businesses that are small businesses. I think it was around 97% or yeah. something. Um, how much more difficult is it for a small business to uh, go through this strategy development and evolution process? Um, you know, um, ideally, uh, you've got a raft of people who you can allocate those, you know, time horizons to. In our office, we've got three people, so we had three time horizons, so that was easy, uh, one for each. But, yeah, how much more difficult do you think it is for the small business to um, deal in this sort of strategic, rich but time-poor environment? Yeah, look, it's um, it's what you're talking about is a dynamic which exists in a multitude of small businesses and probably the vast majority. And the Australian Business Survey a few years ago revealed that um, 76% of Australian businesses don't make the time to engage in strategic conversations. And that's a fair chunk. Um, and the research also revealed that 67% of businesses didn't even have the strategy skills in-house or the awareness of how to do it. So if we don't allocate time to something and we don't know how to do it, then we're not going to do it. And it tends to be, what I've seen, strategy tends to be fairly piecemeal in the small business space. Someone will read an article, they'll see another business that had an idea, or they'll listen to a podcast and they'll get an idea and they'll implement it. If it works, they'll try it. And that process can be helpful and it's not complementary. And this is kind of the reason why I wrote the strategy book. The book itself has got 50% blank pages. So the book is designed to be written in. So it's a two-way conversation between mm. myself and the person reading the book. And there are six fundamental steps that the reader will go through and the audience went through today, which is to sense and see, connect and plan, focus and move. And I really tried to simplify the process of having a strategic conversation around these six steps. Because it's a field of strategy. There's hundreds and hundreds of frameworks on strategy. Picking the right framework for the right context can be really problematic. So... I tried to summarise it and make it really accessible. 
is in the last, not in the last five years, but in the previous 20 years, I moved from Melbourne to regional Australia and I was living in Ballina Byron, Lismore. And instead of having my big corporate clients that I was used to in Melbourne, I finished up working with the local government councils, companies like Thursday Plantation that make tea tree products, mm-hmm. abattoirs, um, small businesses of all descriptions, tourisms, restaurants, cafes, all these different types of things. The Byron Bay Arts Factory, which is a multidisciplinary sort of mixed business model. And they were quite small family-run businesses and they didn't have the traditional strategic training that you would get if you worked for a bigger organisation. So I was helping to fill the gap and I think for a small business it is a gap. Strategy is a gap and uh, it's nothing we're taught at school. It's something we have to learn and it's a responsibility that a business owner has to their business. They have to be responsible enough to add, allocate the time to work on the business rather than just showing up every day and working in the business but they also need to read and they need to learn and they need to understand what strategy is and how it relates to their business. And if they don't, then they will struggle. Mm. So it is a, it's a conscious piece that has to be made time for and business owners um, have to step into, their, step into the place of discomfort and, and learn something they don't know about. Um, and that can make a real difference in my experience. Mm. Yeah. And I think uh, people would express it in terms of spending more time on the business rather than in the business. And um, yeah, I think that's very, very true. John, when you were talking about the six stages of growth today, it was interesting that you sort of captured it in a graph with two axes. One had business growth, you know, as, as your business grows, as it heads out of existence and uh, survival into success, take off, and then eventually into uh, maturity. maturity and final stage. On the y-axis, you had number of decisions. It was really interesting that you, um, the assumption that as business grows, the number of decisions grow as well. Yeah, just take us through that sort of yeah, yeah. understanding. Organisations as they grow become more and more complex. If you have a team of five people, around 15% of their time will be involved in coordinating information between each other, updating, what are you working on, what am I working on, am I working on the right thing? As the team, that team goes from five or six people to 15 or 16 people, the coordination time is about 25%. Uh-huh. Once we get to numbers like 40 people, 60% of people's time can be spent coordinating decisions, working out what to do. Uh-huh. So once we get to 100 people in an uh-huh. organisation, it becomes almost unworkable. Uh-huh. And this is where organisational design and organisational structure is really important. That huge organisations that aren't configured properly become dysfunctional and we've seen some quasi-government utilities in this country which run like a public service department they're supposed to be market focused and the, yes and they just they have no idea there's three arms and five legs and you can never get anything done and from a customer point of view it's um it's yeah. just so frustrating so organizational size is really important in terms of implementing if you get to a stage where you've gone through success and you're in takeoff and you're having to hire and you're growing rapidly i would highly recommend another book it's called family village tribe and it's written about the growth of a company in Australia called Flight Centre yes. and Graham Turner's journey. Yeah. And what they did was they decided that that organisation would be made up of teams of five to seven people and they were basically families, little pods. Mm. And they're functional teams and they could be deployed as functional teams in various functions throughout the organisation and they were a autonomous, self-regulating unit and they would be assigned. When COVID hit, 
and there were no more holidays or flights. Flight Centre was out to da- was able to downsize seventy percent, seventy five percent of its stuff Very just rapidly. by letting mm. pods go. Yeah, they kept their best pods or the pods that were most appropriate to the activities that were needed going forward. But the idea of self managed work teams of five to seven people as a common denominator within a larger organisation can make a huge difference to getting things done. Because mm. as you pointed out on the graph, as a business grows, the number of individual decisions that needs to be made increases, increases and increases and increases. Mm. And this is also where strategy is important. If you're trying to do all things to all people and your organisation is growing, there's a multitude of decisions and it's impossible. You can reduce the number of decisions you have to make on a weekly, daily, hourly basis mm. if you've got a good strategy and you've got good, good organisational structure mm. and people are all on the same page. Strategy, and, and as you said before, the strategy is often about looking at those decisions and not deciding which ones need to be important to make but which ones you don't need to make anymore and to take off the list. Yeah, yeah, it's about reducing a lot of the time to be effective strategically. Now, John, when people have got their strategy in line, they're moving up the stages of growth, Mm. um, all of a sudden these external events uh, jump on them and some people have classified them as global trends and these are the things that you can pull out of the denominator of, of events that are occurring and saying, wow, these are going to hap- these are happening and they're going to continue to happen or will happen. Um, yeah, take us through some of those sorts of global trends um, sure, that sure. Um, can impact businesses and maybe even examples of where some companies have you know, dealt with or really dealt with those uh, issues quite well. Yeah. What I did today was I, rather than speak to the group about you know, current trends, trends for 24, 23, 24, um, there are sort of what I call fads or, or, or trends which they don't have a, necessarily have a, a lot of validity or um, life to them. They just happen to be problematic at the moment and they're getting a lot of press. So AI is an example of that. Mm. The current AI stuff is a big drama for a lot of people but at the end of the day it's just going to be integrated like any other technology. Mm. So the people can lose a lot of sleep worrying about current trends. But what I did to what I did do today was I talked about six megatrends, and uh, I classify these things as big forces that are not going away anytime soon. Mm. Yeah, and these are things like global warming, water scarcity, aging populations. Which I can relate. Yep. Yeah, and then I, I included three more, which included the rapid urbanisation yep. of cities yep. right around the world, yep. um, the the rising middle class, the more less people in poverty than there were ten years ago. So yep. people have discretionary income that didn't have that before. And the AI and automation. AI and automation yeah. is very yeah. much a, a megatrend. Is that's the, and these are, these are forces which continue to march into the future and will keep marching forward. And strategically, the important thing to understand at megatrends is if you have a strategy that is in tune or takes advantage or makes an opportunity out of these megatrends, then uh, that's a good strategy because the force will be with you. And I also shared uh, what I call radical uncertainties, which are all can be problematic forces, which are very hard to predict. And I mentioned that businesses should spend a bit of just a bit of resource and a bit of time thinking about these sorts of things because they represent possible opportunities that might jump up in the future, um, but they also might represent problems for the businesses if they're if they're not um, accounted for or thought about. Mm-hmm. Um, and those uh, time horizons that you were talking about before, do you, do you just want to go through those? I know you set them up in terms of times around one to two years, two to five and five to ten, but did you want to just um, touch on, I suppose, the important part of each of those horizons? Sure, sure. Um, the first horizon, which is the one to two year horizon, 
for most businesses is the probable horizon in the sense that it's highly probable that the business strategy they've got now will continue to work and that we can continue to take advantage of this you know, this strategy we have at the moment. Mm-hmm. And at that first horizon stage, it's about scaling up what we do, trying to get returns to scale, trying to make this thing economically profitable, whatever mm. we're doing. Yeah, Building the value of what you're trying to. Yeah. Yeah. And then the second horizon is really two to five year horizon is where we actually have to actively invest in possible new futures. The, if we're going to need to pivot, where will we need to pivot to? If we're going to change something, what will we, will we change to? Yeah, mm-hmm. Call that horizon two and that's two to five years. Yeah. And then the third horizon is horizon three and that's very much five to ten year horizon. And... We don't have to do too much with that stuff, but we do need to have to tell ourselves stories about what might happen in five to ten years' time. And in organisations, there's a, a practice called scenario planning where you tell a number of stories, get together maybe on an annual basis and you talk about what the future might look like. You might just do a morning with your people and you might come up with three or four or five scenarios of what might play out in the world in your industry in five to ten years' time. And you get specific. You give these different stories names and then you might write down a few markers that might signal that these scenarios are coming true. And that means if any of these scenarios start playing out, you're on the front foot, you're not on the back foot. They're not going to catch you by surprise. The pandemic was a good example. Bill Gates came out in 2015 or 16 on TED and said, you know, the next big problem on this planet will be a, will be a, a pandemic. And uh, I saw it when it came out and I thought, hmm, interesting thought. However, enough people saw that TED talk, enough people heard what Bill had to say, that we were somewhat prepared for it when it happened because of the work he'd done. But if he hadn't told that story, mm. we would have been a lot worse off than we were. And that's yeah. an example of that third horizon, five to ten year window, that Bill had told us a story about five to ten years. And enough of us did some planning around it. Not a lot, but enough. Yeah. Yes, I remember reading a book, I think it was called The Black Swan uh, or something, or Black Swan Events or something, but it was talking about those events which are quite catastrophic in terms of when they happen. But when they happen, you look back and you think, well, actually all the indicators were there that it could have happened and probably was most likely going to happen. Do you see that sort of Black Swan event planning as part of that sort of five to ten year horizon checking, you know, looking into the future and thinking about, as you say, okay, pandemic, that's a bit out there, but maybe it could happen. Yeah, it's okay. interesting. Uh, Nassim Nicholas Taylor, the author of The Black Swan, has written a number of books. Mm. And uh, over time he's talked about black swans and white swans. Yes, that's right. Yeah. And uh, the black swan's a beautiful metaphor because um, particularly for Australia is that when the Dutch first came to Western Australia they, and they came on land, they saw mm. these black swans. And, of course, in Europe the only swans are white. Yeah, and right. they said, how's that possible? How's it possible there are black swans? And uh, I said, well, well, I guess in retrospect... You know, swans could be black as well. Yeah, that's yeah. right. So the, the point about a black swan is that we couldn't predict it in advance. So the pandemic, in a way, was not a black swan. No. Um, because we predicted it. We could see that it could play out. It was possible based on previous viruses that had happened. Oh, we'd had SARS. several. Yeah. yeah. So that's not a black swan. He calls that a white swan. Mm. A white swan is an event where it will be, it'll feel like a black swan, but it, it's actually something that we prospectively can predict rather than retrospectively wish we had predicted. And actually, Nassim Nichols Taylor was actually interviewed for the first time in a few months on US television this week. And the finance sector were really interested to have, see what he had to say about the, 
the current financial situation in the United States, which mm-hmm. is, is very very similar in many ways to 2008. So they were trying to get him to predict the next stock market crash. He said, there's one coming. It's a white swan. It's not a black swan. Sometimes a stock market crash is a black swan, like mm-hmm. 9-11. 9-11 was definitely a black yeah. swan event. We couldn't have predicted yep. that stock market. No. 2008 was probably a white swan because when you looked at the mortgage crisis and all yep. of the stuff going on. It was kind of predictable. Yeah, I made money on that one because I could see it coming. Yep. I made money on the 9-11 one because I did something quickly once it happened Right. in terms of the in. stock market. Yep. But he's basically saying that the next big correction in the equity markets is, is a white swan. So Yes, um, and, and it will happen. It will happen, yeah. It won't happen overnight, but no, it will happen. Yeah. <laughs> the gold price tells us that's what's going to happen. Yes. Now, the other really good thing I think you went through, which kind of summarises your six stages of the strategic mindset, um, you talked about the three questions hack, which sort yeah, of yeah, yeah. summarises the six into three mm-hmm. um, important questions. Do you want to go through those? Because I think they were, for me, they were very insightful. They really hit the mark on the head in terms of the questions you have to ask. And I think I c- you could apply these questions in every facet of your life. I think they're just, yeah, really yeah. right on point. Yeah, um, it's interesting. I, I came up with these qu- three questions about uh, two years ago because I was thinking, how could I simplify the six-step strategic mindset process? Because uh, as a keynote speaker, most of the time you've got 20 minutes and you can deliver three points. Mm. And the problem I've got as a, as a keynote speaker doing a motivational talk for 20 minutes, I'm trying to teach people six steps. Yep. It's too many. too many. So how do I reduce that down from six? So I thought I need to fit it into three. And uh, many moons ago... Um, I finished up doing a bit of work as a spiritual teacher um, in Byron, as you do when you live in that part of the world. Yep. I had the skills in front of an audience, so I had lots and lots of people coming in their saris and their, their yoga pants to talk about who they were. It was a bit of fun. I was going through my own sort of midlife journey, trying to get in touch with my true nature. And I did a lot of reading of spiritual masters. And uh, there was a phrase that came from, I think it was a Buddhistic logic, it basically said, Right understanding, right relationship, right action. And this was an ethical framework for thinking about how to behave in the world. Mm-hmm. And I remember teaching my children this, and now from time to time we're in a conversation and they go, this is what I'm doing, Dad. And I said, why is that? She said, right understanding, right action, right relationship. And the idea is that if you have good understanding through awareness, then you can answer the first question that I shared today, which is what is really going on here? Yep. And this is the question which, in many ways, human beings don't do a very good job of answering. We really have no clue what's going on here. We don't see the world as it is. We see it as we are. We have all sorts of confirmation bias, all sorts of biases that, uh, that interrupt our ability to sense and see, which are the first two steps of the strategic yep. mindset process. So mm-hmm. what's really going on here answers the question, right understanding. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. The second of the shortcuts... And, and before you go on to the second, the, the word that really resonates well with me there is really. Really. What's really going on. Many people try and go in and look at what's going on and go, yep, this is what it is. But what's really going on just really requires you to just take that step back, have a little bit of a, a look around the, what what else is going on and to really understand, um, yeah, what, what is happening. So, yeah, that's certainly something I really got out of it. I remember many moons ago, it was probably over 20 years ago, I was a strategic advisor to a city council. I'd been working with the previous general manager and the general manager moved on and I was supporting the HR department to hire a new general manager, but I wasn't involved in the recruitment Mm -hmm. process. I just didn't 
involved in helping set up the recruitment process. Mm. Once the new general manager came in, it was the first day in the office, I went in to meet with the general manager and they looked somewhat overwhelmed because they'd come from a, working at a much smaller organisation to running a big city council. I said, look, I'm the strategic advisor for the last GM. I'm happy to work with you. What's on your mind? And there were some important decisions that had to be made in a hurry, Also, this general manager thought. I said, before you make any decisions, try and triangulate. Mm. He said, what does that mean? And I said, that means that you need to get information from three different independent sources to verify whatever Mm. assumption you're making before you make a decision. Mm. He said, I like that. Mm. And I said, and let me know if I can help. Well, I didn't hear from him for like two years. And I noticed in the paper that there were no restructures, there was no strategic plan that had been released, there was no change to this organisation, it was just doing what it had always done, roads, road rates and rubbish and a bit of this and a bit of that. And then a phone call came and the GM rang me and said, I'm done. I said, I beg your pardon? He said, I'm done, I finished triangulating. It had taken him two wow, years to two triangulate. Years. Wow. But in taking those two years, yep. he understood the answer yeah. to that question. Yep. What is really going on here? He said, yep. now I'm ready to restructure the organisation. Now I'm ready to do a community strategic plan. Can you come and help? Wow. And it was an amazing restructure. It was amazing transformation. And it was an amazing strategy. And it was owned and delivered into the community. And the reason why it was so successful is that GM took the time to answer that to question. Really so when we came up with the options, which is the second question, what are our options? We knew our options because he yeah. had a good understanding. And then working out what to do was really easy. It was one of the easiest city council strategies I ever did because he took the triangulation to heart. Mm. Now, I will put a caution on that for business owners and leaders today. Sure. The triangulation today doesn't work. Mm. And the reason why it doesn't work is because of the, the, the existence of social media and technology bias, and that we have been fed so much, as Donald Trump would say, fake news, mm. that we yep. really don't know. Huh. So I would encourage people to go out and get five different sources. Wow. Yep. And if any one of those five don't concur, get then go six. and find five more oh, right. that confirm the outlier. Yeah, okay. Because the outlier might be true, and then the other four are the fake news. Are the fake news. Yeah, wow. So the due diligence that's required to answer that question, what is really going on here, has gone to another level. It's gone to another power. That is the most powerful question in the strategic wow. conversation today. What is really going on here? Because yeah. I'm sure if one of those partners at PwC three months ago or three years ago looked at those emails and said, what's really going on here, mm. rather than the groupthink risky shift behaviour they're engaged in, Mm. then you would have a very different situation in that Mm. And as you mentioned just then, the second question is, you know, what are our options? So that sounds like a very straightforward analysis, identification of option A to Z or whatever it is. Um, Yeah, is it as simple as that? It's not that simple. I was speaking uh, last month to the 100-year anniversary dinner of Rotary in Queensland. It was a wonderful event to speak at town. Q&A from the stage and with 800 people or 700 people in the room, it was, um, I thought, I could get anything. Fortunately, the first question was about options at the casino, so that was easy to answer. <laughs> but the second question was about how do we continue to thrive and survive as an organisation given the ageing population, the need to be relevant. And I just said, look, you're worried about nothing. You are an amazing organisation. You have programs for people who are 80 and 18 and 80 years old. Mm. I said, the key, I think, is, to, is around options. 
is that if you can really tap into the mind of your constituents, so in the case of a business, tap into the minds of your customers mm. and look for options in their world. Give your, cl- give your customers more options because we all need options to survive and thrive. So in creating options in your business, be customer-centric. Mm. Spend time with your customers and say, what sort of options do my customers, do what do my clients need so that their lives and their businesses are more empowered? So we just need to go one more branch down the tree and just say, what options can we offer? What new options can we offer um, our clients that may be experiencing new constraints in the world? Mm. It's all about options. And, of course, the last question, having to choose from those options. What will what we, will do? we <laughs> do? Yeah, sort of kind of speaks for itself. Um, but that's that's part of the hard question then, isn't it? Uh, you know, well, I didn't, I didn't share it today. Um, and I, this is a very special secret, this one. But there is a fourth question, which right. I didn't share. And the fourth question is, what will we do if that doesn't work? Mm. And that's the risk mitigation piece that yes. when I'm working with clients and we're answering that question, so what will we do now that we've done the analysis, we've got the options, what will we do moving forward? And everybody's clear, which is great, and we're going to go down this path. And I'm happy with what they're doing because if it doesn't work, they're going to learn something and they'll alter course. Mm. But we can be proactive and just say, okay, this is what we'll do, but what will we do if that doesn't work? And that may be bringing op- our second best option down or before we even do that, what can we do right now to reduce the risk of whatever we choose to do um, failing? And that might involve some extra things we need to do to support um, whatever we're choosing to do. Mm. Great questions. Yeah, look, um, yes, they are your questions. (laughs) Great. (laughs) You're asking me them. (laughs) (laughs) But it's really good because it just brings a bit of reality and practicality to those six stages. And as you say, six, I think I can remember four or five, but to have those questions, uh, stages compressed into three great questions, I think helps people set themselves up for business. Yeah. So, look, I think we've pretty much ended our uh, time. And so what I'd like to do is then thank you, John, um, the strategy guy, <laughs> for coming in and uh, not only, of course, uh, doing our Business Matters lunch today, but then coming on to do our um, podcast, which I'm sure, as you indicated before, our walkers, uh, people in traffic or otherwise will be keen to look at and listen to. And fellow marathon runners out there. Oh, goodness, yes. You did mention you ran a marathon recently and that's just a little bit too long uh, even to think about. Um, But just reminding everyone, uh, John is the principal of the Hale Consulting Group, author of a number of really good books and is available to speak at your conference, convention, world-leading, whatever, or your 100-year anniversary uh, event. On the topic of strategy. On the topic of strategy, of course. Uh, so thank you very much again, John, for uh, for um, being part of the podcast today. Great, Michael. Thanks for having me in Townsville. It's been a real treat. Cheers. John, thank you so much for a strategic mindset, many challenging issues and opportunities that businesses face in 2023. Thank you for your time. The Townsville Chamber would like to thank their corporate partners, Star 106.3, James Cook University and PVW Partners. Make sure to hit the subscribe button and listen to all of our chamber casts.